Welcome to the latest issue of China Success, a podcast designed to showcase businesses that have had success in China, to learn from some of the challenges that they faced, and obviously to find out more about how they were successful so that we can help others along the way. And I'm delighted today to have on our podcast Adrian Baitup Carlson of Brand Agency in Sydney. And she's going to tell us her story of working with Nike in China, which of course is a well known international brand known to everybody. Um, and she was very much involved in the development of their brand presence in China. So, Adrian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure. Now, perhaps we could start with your journey into China and how you uh, first went to China and how, of course, you came across Nike and started working with them. Yes, thank you. In fact, my interest in China goes back to when I was a young woman. I was given um, a couple of books on the early history of China, which I found really fascinating. And at the first opportunity when I was traveling, I went um, to Hong Kong um, and immediately, I think, felt connected to the Chinese culture and, and the people. Um, so it was very much um, an interest of mine. Um, and then in 2006, the agency that I'd founded was acquired by a multinational, which was very flattering to us and provided opportunities to expand our, our footprint. Um, and at that point, um, I was appointed as strategy director for the Asian region out of Hong Kong. So the journey with Nike began when Imagination, that's the firm I had joined, um, who are experts in brand experience, um, were approached by Nike to talk about how to develop a strategy for Nike to really um, start to build and cement its brand in China and the hearts and minds of young people um, prior to the Doha Games, which were preceding the Beijing Olympics. So there was a greater store, obviously a great store set on um, how the brand would perform in China around the Olympic Games. So that was how it started. Hmm. Yeah, now, of course, Nike had been in China for a while. So this was a sort of refresh or a, a relook at how they would be perceived in China. Yes, they'd been actually had a, quite a sensible consumer presence since 1981. Um, but by around 2006, um, Nike had about 16 percent of the market in China. I think their competitor Adidas, 15 or so. Um, and local Chinese brands, Li Ning, um, and Anta were really coming up fast because it was believed that they had a much better understanding on what motivated the Chinese consumer. They were closer to the market. Um, so that was a challenge for Nike. Great. So what a fantastic opportunity to find <laughs> yourself in to, uh, you know, be the, be the advisor or, the, you know, yeah. the, the direction for Nike's mm. ref brand refresh mm. going into mm. the Olympic Games. So, Tell us a bit about how that uh, went and, and what, what... Thank you, know, what you David. Yeah. It was an incredible challenge and very, I think, very humbling as well because Nike is one of the world's most you know, famous and successful brands um, and they have a very strong perspective as a brand on who they are and what they stand for. So our task was really to understand um, Nike's purpose as a brand and then go and investigate and get closer to the youth market in China to understand how we could create a connection between the essence of the Nike brand and what really mattered um, to those young people. So I um, was very pleased to be able to work with a colleague, Stephen Raw, um, very um, fluent Chinese speaker, very good at Mandarin, had studied in Taiwan and in Beijing. Um, and he and I 
took off from Hong Kong and went basically and camped in China for about six weeks, mostly in Beijing, but traveling around um, to other areas. And the first thing we did was the most important thing, um, and that is get close to the audience. So we went and talked to a lot of young people, listened, looked at what they were doing and tried to really immerse ourselves in um, the youth culture as it was at the time. And what did you find back then? That's quite a long time ago. Yeah, it's a long time ago. (laughs) Well, it's a long time ago, I know. Um, What we discovered was something remarkable to Westerners and not surprising when you think about it in context. So we discovered that there was no culture of sport in China at that time. So as kids, you're English, right, David? So, you know, parents encourage you to run outside and play games and ride bicycles and do things. And there's a lot of sport at school. In China, this was all really not particularly attractive um, because the government would choose those, you know, outstanding young athletes and send them away um, to, you know, train, basically. So away from family, away from friends, um, sport really wasn't something that felt liberating and empowering. It was something that was quite frightening. So um, that was our task, really, to think about how to create a culture of sport um, in in that enormous country. Mm. So how do you do that? Well, we went and talked to young people. We um, we spent a lot of time um, with some young people who were playing street basketball. It wasn't an organized sport. It had no venue. They were just doing it on the street um, in a neighborhood in Beijing. Um, we were introduced to them through some connections and we just discovered that they were themselves creating this culture of sport within their own friends and community. And so that was a jumping off point for us to investigate in terms of a driving idea for the brand, what does that really mean? What does that really mean? And what we uncovered was a really interesting piece of thinking around belief and self-belief. Because Nike talks about bringing inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world, and that, that everyone with a body is potentially an athlete, right? So, so what we needed to do was to find a, a meeting point um, for those young people And it was around the idea that we could ignite belief. We could ignite self-belief and sport could help them do this. Um, And it was translated or written beautifully in Chinese. So it was about belief in my own power, belief in action and belief as we go forward as a nation towards the Olympics. So it was a very emotional idea, um, but it was expressed in uh, graffiti, street art, you know, the kind of cool stuff that young people like. So this was very clever. Because when we think of Nike in the West, we think of the uh, tagline, just do it, which is mm. their English mm. tagline. Mm. So mm. it did mm. develop a similar kind of tag for China or did it appear differently depending on where it was seen? And we didn't, um, we didn't change that at all. Um, but I think what we, what we did was in the pre-Olympic um, period around Doha and really starting to build a groundswell of interest in sport amongst young people in China. Um, the client was wonderful. They um, worked with us and arranged a number of kind of viral pop-up events in unusual locations where the whole thing was very cool. Um, and obviously starting to bring the idea that um, you know, sport could be fun. Um, so there are some things with big brands like Nike that are absolutely sacrosanct and you don't, you don't tinker with, but you can build a really strong story around that that fits with the particular culture. And I think that for me is a big learning, you know, with China that you can't just transplant a brand 
you have to respect its integrity, but then how do you build a story that connects with those consumers? So you built the story around that, and then how did they execute mm. that to, a, mm. to a, such a large mm. audience? Mm. One, one of the challenges in China mm. is breaking through the noise. Yes. Um, and how did, they actually, how did you actually do that? Well, it's, um, it, I think it's a good principle because actually we started local. You know, you don't, you don't approach the entire market the size of China in one go, and it's very diverse anyway. Um, it's um, often said to me when I first arrived there, think about China more like Europe. You know, it's, it's very diverse, actually, in, um, not only in languages and culture, but in customs and, and beliefs. So what we did was we focused primarily on Beijing because um, that's where the Olympics would be. And we wanted to start to build a community there um, and generate some excitement. So there were local pop-ups, there were local events. Um, Nike then, I don't know whether they outright purchased it, I don't think they did, but they certainly um, subsidised or paid for um, a beautiful venue that was repurposed um, for the same young people to play their street ball in. And it was in Dongdang in um, Beijing district. So that became quite a meeting place as well. But it wasn't overly branded. It was much more low-key than that. And that's, I think, part of the appeal in many ways. And what about for the rest of the country? How did you roll it out uh, throughout China? This was at a time when the, um, Nike were beginning to create flagship stores as well. Um, and some of those were really stunning. Um, and one of the things that they did was bring the, bring the brand experience to life inside the store. We might I think that's not surprising now, but back then putting, um, you know, hoops inside stores, putting running tracks inside stores and so on was just really exciting for young people so they could actually go there and play. Um, and then eventually there, of course, were some of the global superstars with whom they could then make a connection between, you know, the athletes' beliefs and their own aspirations as young people. So, again, that was a very strong um, part of the story. And just out of interest, so mm. Nike would have had quite a big local team in China. To, to, uh, what, what was the sort of split between Americans who'd come over from the US and brought head office kind of thinking with them mm. versus the locals? Well, how did that all work? That's a really good question because actually it had a very strong China balance. Um, our key client, um, whose name was Sharon, um, was Chinese born, but experienced internationally. She had worked um, in marketing around the world. She was very um, immersed in the Nike culture, but also um, very aware of local culture. So the balance was always there from the start. It was very good. Um, I had experience working with, for example, some Americans in, um, in China who didn't think like that and who were just basically saying, this is the way things happen. So we do it like that. Um, I think Nike as a business um, was really quite smart and sensitive to the local, very good at listening, very open. So 15 years later, um, how much of your work has now sort of uh, translated into, you know, how Nike project themselves today? Well, I suppose my um, colleagues at Imagination um, and I would like to feel that that there's been a lasting impact. We certainly um, saw in the subsequent years that very strong correlation between the Nike brand and street culture. Um, Nike Youth, they, um, they started Nike Run, which, you know, there was no running culture for, for amateur athletes in China before that time. Um, I went to um, events for 
you know, empowering young women, which were um, really fantastic. Um, again, you know, I think a great platform was started at the beginning and then you just build on that. Um, yeah. And of course, their global advertising agency, Wyden and Kennedy, who've been with them from the very beginning, have continued to do you know, really beautiful, consistent work. So the this, this story um, is there. Yeah. So Nike is a fantastic case study of a foreign brand that's been successful mm. in China. Can, can we break it down into some critical success factors that others can think about in terms of how they um, brand themselves in China? What, what are the sort of yeah. two or three things that everybody needs to, to do to, to follow in Nike's footsteps? Absolutely. I think the first thing is be curious. You know, question your assumptions about how people respond to your brand and how they consume it. The second thing is um, make a real effort to get to know your consumer. So, don't again, it's about not making assumptions, but get really close to your target audience because um, they will tell you what matters to them. And that's the only way you can really forge an emotional connection that's going to be meaningful. So they, they own the brand, so you're not pushing it at them. Um, and particularly, uh, I think these days, young, you know, the younger generation are very astute um, and savvy. So, and the other thing is, I think in China, you know, don't underestimate the creativity and the sophistication of your audience. Um, I was continually surprised, enlightened, um, delighted by the people I met and the things I learned. So it's, it's a partnership. Yeah. Yeah, because um, it, yeah, it seems to me that, uh, for example, you could easily make assumptions that young people would already be quite sporty. In China, you, you, they, you quickly found that wasn't the case. Um, I'm sure that's changed more recently, um, but uh, you know, China has its, own, has its own sort of way of doing things. Exactly. Um, what about uh, China as a market and the size and scale and, and challenges that foreign companies have in China uh, reaching such a large number of people across so many different cities and regions. Um, how, how, how can we help others think about how to do that? Uh, or perhaps they shouldn't do that. They should stay very focused on one area. Hmm. I think both points are good, David. I think um, I'd like to just flip that on its head a little bit because I also did a lot of work with um, large Chinese brands who were um, trying to engage better with the West and also build their own markets. So I think what I learned from that whole experience is that, um, you know, it's never going to be one size fits all. So even for major Chinese brands, they need to localize and customize from region to region because the market is different. And then the segments of that market are going to be different as well. So I think it's about having a really good segmentation strategy and understanding where your product and your brand story is going to be most effective and and interesting to the market. Um, obviously, commercially, that's important. But also, I think it's about um, really not making assumptions um, that you will need to attack the whole market, but actually starting somewhere. Yeah, and in, in Nike's case, it was really in Beijing around the Olympic Games in 2008 was a perfect exactly. place. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. And of course, since then, I'm sure they've, uh, they've rolled out into other... Absolutely everywhere. <laughs> Absolutely everywhere. Yeah. 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 So any last sort of thoughts about the bright, uh, the, uh, sorry, the Na Nike branding experience and uh, any, anything we can, that you can pass on to newcomers trying to figure out how to re represent their brand in China? I think it's um, about having courage, really. You need to know yourself and what, you know, what your own 
brand strength is. You need to be really clear about that and then be prepared to, I suppose, transcreate that into another culture. So it's not just about saying, here we are with our brand name and that's it. And you can just, you know, accept it or not, buy it or not. But it's actually about taking the essence of that idea and recreating it in a way that's going to be very exciting for the local market. And that's what works really well. Yeah. Yes, it's, a, it's an art and a science, isn't it, to get that right. And I think it is. many people underestimate the um, transcreation process, which uh, um, you know, there, there are many success stories, but there are also some spectacular failures as well. Yes, exactly, exactly. And so um, I think for me that's the most important thing. So it's, it's the courage, it's the curiosity, it's being a good listener and realising that actually you, you need partners who understand China, who are really close to the culture, who know how to connect with the right people because it's a living, breathing culture and everything changes very, very fast. So we don't want to have outdated ideas about what's going to work. Right on, right on the, on the top of it, yeah? Well, thank you. And now we always finish with three <laughs> questions, so um, let's do them fairly quickly. So if you could start it all over again, your China journey, is there any mm -hmm. one thing might have done differently it sounds arrogant but i don't think so because i had a wonderful partner who i went and did the work with and we were both um really open-minded about everything and i think that was the secret and that's why it worked so right so nothing case, no do nothing differently well that's good it was, a, it was a beautiful piece of work it was really effective it stood the test of time so good teamwork yeah, we can't say more than that. So number two, what's your favourite Chinese city and why? Oh, it's a contrary answer because not many people would probably say this, but it's Beijing because I lived there for a number of years. Um, I lived um, not far from, um, like, outside the Fourth Ring Road for a while, almost in the country, not far from the wall. It was beautiful. It was freezing in winter, blazing hot in summer, close to the government, stimulating culturally amazing i just absolutely love it and i go back in a flash yeah good oh, yeah. and then thirdly finally if if you could use one word to describe china in your mind what what would your one word be i would say subtle i think it's much more subtle as a culture than people realize we just get a very boxed up view from the west delivered by you know the media and politicians and it's not like that at all. It's nuanced and it's it's much, yeah, much more subtle. Good. Well, Adrian, thank you for being on the China Success Podcast. <laughs> Always lovely to talk to you and to hear about your success stories. Um, people can get hold of you via your brand agency website, which is www.brandd.agency, um, right? Uh, dot, no, dot com dot au. Sorry, brand, yeah. so B-R-A-N-D-D-D. .com.au. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's also on your website many other case studies of clients that you've worked with in China and in other parts of the mm -hmm. world. So mm -hmm. I'd encourage anybody to go and have a look at those and also to contact Adrienne if you're interested in going through the brand process yourself um, and positioning your own brand in China. Um, so thank you for joining us and uh, it's great to have you here, Adrienne. Thanks. Great pleasure, David. Thank you for the great work you're doing. Appreciate it. And thank you to everyone for being here for our China Success podcast. You can find us via the link uh, and uh, please uh, ray, uh, review and give us some rave reviews. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now. <laughs>